Specialty Stories, session number 131. Whether you are a pre-med or a medical student, you've answered the calling to become a physician. Soon you'll have to start deciding what type of medicine you'll want to practice. This podcast will tell you the stories of specialists from every field to give you the information to make sure you make the most informed decision possible when it comes to choosing your specialty. Welcome to Specialty Stories. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, your host here for Specialty Stories, where I get the awesome privilege of having really great conversations with physicians, with residency fellowship program directors, and so much more about their specialty, what led them to it, what they like about it, what they don't like about it, to really give you some in-depth information about what is out there for you. Now, one of the things I'll mention here that has changed since I recorded the last episode is step one, USMLE step one, went pass fail. Now, you can go back and listen to some previous episodes where I specifically asked the question to some of the program directors how that would affect their scoring. And some people said they really don't know yet. Some people said it really wouldn't because they look at every application anyway. A lot of these programs, they don't get that many applications. Obviously, there, there are going to be some huge programs that get tons of applications, some really competitive programs that get lots of applications. But a lot of programs, they're, they're looking through 500, 1,000, maybe 1,500 applications. And it's pretty easy to go through that many applications relatively quickly if you are looking for very specific things outside of the objective USMLE step one score. Now, obviously, step two is still scored, which I don't agree with. If they if they change step one to pass-fail, they need to change them all to pass-fail because all it's doing is potentially shifting the weight on to step two. I don't know if it will. Maybe some programs will shift their, their weight to step two. Medical schools may need to scramble and, and push around their curriculum a little bit to get students to take step two a little bit sooner. We don't know yet. And so it's way too early to have this discussion on how step one going pass-fail is going to affect your ability to match into a competitive specialty if you're not at Harvard or WashU or UCSF for for medical school. There are still lots of variables up in the air. There are still lots of variables in your residency application. So please don't think that you only have to go to the best MD schools and that you shouldn't go to a DO school or you shouldn't go to your, your state school. There's still so many options out there for you and still lots of data that we need to collect on how this is going to affect students in the future. With that said, I'll dive in potentially in a future pre-med years podcast about this and how it affects students, obviously as pre-meds, but also as medical students. Today, we have a great guest talking about regenerative medicine. Now, We have had several pain medicine docs on before, and Dr. Kohler is a pain medicine doc as well, Uh, but he specializes more in regenerative medicine, and it's very interesting to talk about it, right? If you think about stem cells and PRP, plasma-rich platelets, I think is PRP. I should have Googled that before I started recording. Um... It, it is kind of the new frontier of medicine and, and potentially thinking about how medicine can help patients. Now, if you're listening to this, you obviously know how to listen to a podcast. After you listen to this episode, I mentioned it to Dr. Kohler, I think while we're recording, that 
that there's an amazing podcast series by Wondery, I believe, and a great uh, podcast network. And they did a podcast called Bad Batch about the regenerative medicine field, about the stem cell field, and specifically about one company that uh, had some shenanigans and actually hurt a bunch of people. So it's the same company that did Dr. Death, the Dr. Death podcast about Dr. Christopher Dunch and the the neurosurgeon who uh, was not very good and is now behind bars. So go check out Bad Batch after you listen to Dr. Kohler talking about regenerative medicine and uh, and it as a potential specialty for you in the future. We start the discussion by how Dr. Kohler first became interested in pain and ultimately regenerative medicine. So for pain medicine, it's kind of one of those things, you know, I kind of wish I could say it's one of those things I always wanted to do, but, you know, it's something that kind of evolved over time for me. Um, you know, so I think the first time I kind of got exposure to it and, you know, kind of became interested in it, it was between, you know, probably third and fourth year of medical school doing rotations with anesthesia and, um, you know, doing like a week or two in the pain, uh, medicine facility there at UVA and, um, had a lot of great professors there that were doing some pretty interesting research at the time and, um, kind of just became interested at that time, but, you know, the whole process for me in deciding on specialties was, uh, um, you know, something that kind of took a step at a time, you know, so for me, you know, as you're going through, you know, rotations in medical school, and then, you know, kind of the figuring out which um, specialty to apply for for residency, and then, you know, through there trying to figure out which subspecialty focus um, you want to pursue. Um, you know, it's really kind of looking at all of the different options at each big decision branch. Um, and uh, so I guess my, my first love was kind of anesthesiology, you know, it's a very kind of interventional, you know, field and, you know, very hands on and, you know, as I was going through residency, I got more and more exposure to pain medicine and um, just really kind of fell in love with, you know, the fact that you get the long-term patient interaction, you get to do a lot of cutting edge, cutting edge um, therapies and interventions. Um, and, you know, lifestyle balance is pretty important for me, you know, being able to spend time with, you know, uh, family and friends and pursue other passions and pain kind of provides, you know, all of that in, in one package. Um, you know, the other thing that's kind of been a more recent interest for me is a uh, regenerative medicine, as you mentioned. And um, the reason I like regenerative medicine, and for those, I guess, who are listening that don't know too much about what that is, it's, you know, kind of, um, you know, finding ways to, you know, kind of supercharge your body's own healing processes and, you know, trying to help people recover from, you know, injuries or degeneration or arthritis or, you know, any kind of thing like that um, by, you know, using PRP or stem cell injections. Um, and the reason this has become such a huge uh, area of focus for me is, you know, I, I like the fact that it's a way to get people feeling better without um, the use of things that can potentially be harmful. So those things being, you know, medications, you know, we know there's lots of risks with taking anti-inflammatory medications long-term. Obviously the opioids are a tough thing, um, you, know, uh, you know, from a social impact standpoint. And then uh, even cortisone injections, which, um, you know, we do a lot of as pain management physicians, but, um, you know, all these studies coming out stating, you know, that, you know, you know, intraarticular injections in particular can cause accelerated degeneration of cartilage in the joint. So in the long term, you may actually be doing more harm than good with these. 
Um, so trying to find more sustainable long-term ways to kind of get people better. And it's really what kind of drew me into the regenerative medicine area. What are some of the biggest myths and misconceptions around regenerative medicine? Um, so there's a lot of misconceptions. There's a lot of misinformation out there. Um, so, you know, one thing that's kind of been, uh, interesting to me, you know, as I've kind of been starting up my practice here in New York is that the, um, I guess, you know, well, Google specifically has actually made it so you cannot do any like Google AdWords for regenerative medicine. So if you have that anywhere on your domain or if you have peer-to-peer stem cell on there, they won't allow you to do um, paid ads. And the reason for that is, you know, there's been a lot of um, claims, uh, you know, about, I guess, some of the benefits of certain types of regenerative medicine. So, you know, in the U.S., it's a very closely regulated thing, Um, you know, so for PRP and stem cells, um, you know, these are things that really should be, you know, kind of extracted and injected in the same patient visit, you know, so it's not like places in the Caribbean or, you know, Panama, for example, where you can actually, um, you know, process these stem cells in a lab and, um, you know, grow what's called like golden lineages where um, you kind of have a proven Kind of lineage from you know embryonic stem cells. You know the U.S. does not allow that at this point. Um, and you know there's been some uh, companies that I guess have kind of you know, <laughs> they've marketed, done marketed. it. <laughs> yeah, they've kind of marketed you know umbilical stem cells yep. and uh, stem cells from Mike Wharton's jelly and uh, things of those nature. But you know the problem with those is that you know they've they've been found to basically be non-viable. You yeah. know, so they're not really doing anything when you inject those, unfortunately. And, um, you know, you know, they go around to, you know, doctors and chiropractors and other people that are doing these injections and kind of feeding them this information. And, um, you know, because it's kind of like a new field, you know, people kind of buy into it and then pass that along to patients sometimes. And, yeah. um, you know, there's been some cases of, you know, pretty serious complications from this. Uh, so infections and, um, I think someone was doing like intraocular injections or something with mm-hmm. stem cells at one point and that caused blindness in somebody. So, you know, there's these risks and, you know, a lot of misinformation and misunderstanding in the common community about, you know, how to use these and, you know, what's effective and, you know, what's safe. Yeah. Um, so, um, you know, I will say there is a lot of very good research on there, uh, you know, you know, about how to kind of process these, um, you know, PRP and stem cell modalities and, you know, try to optimize, you know, how, how we administer these to patients and how we do it in a safe and effective manner. And, you know, one of the companies that we've kind of aligned ourselves with is this company called Virginics. And, you know, they're, they're doing a lot of the research right now that's, um, you know, kind of been moving the field forward. And, um, you know, there's uh, lots of good data, lots of obviously anecdotal evidence that these are helpful for patients. But, you know, until I think we get like, you know, those big, you know, multidisciplinary, you know, studies that, you know, kind of show level one evidence, you know, it's going to be a little bit tough to get this covered by insurance. And, yeah. you know, they become a, a little bit more common practice. Yeah. I'm assuming you've heard of the, the Bad Batch podcast actually no oh you haven't okay i'm yeah, sure you're yeah. aware of of the cases so bad batch is a, a great little mini series podcast covering um uh 
the stem cell industry and one one specific company that kind of sold sold a batch of pre-made stem cells that got a bunch of people sick. So it's a very, very interesting look into the stem cell industry that yeah, you, that you should definitely listen to that. because your patients yeah. are probably going to have listened to it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, you know, it's trying to, you know, you know, you obviously have to educate patients and, uh, you know, unfortunately with all of the information that is kind of out there, you know, on the internet and everything, it's, yeah. um, you know, a little bit more work for the physician <laughs> to kind of, you know, weed through all that and, you know, try to figure out what's, um, you know, what's, what's real, what's not, you know, what's, uh, you know, how to make your clinical decisions, uh, based on, you know, kind of the real evidence-based medicine, you know? Yeah. Yep. Exactly. What types of patients are coming to see you? Like what, what pathologies, what diseases can you treat well at this point with regenerative medicine? You know, the, the main things that we're kind of seeing and treating, you know, obviously, um, you know, mild to moderate uh, osteoarthritis is probably the most well studied. So people that have, you know, kind of a little bit of like knee arthritis and degeneration or um, shoulder, hips, you know, any of the, the major joints, you know, even the small joints, you can treat pretty effectively with these. The other things um, that typically respond pretty well, if you have like a, you know, kind of a partial tear of a tendon, like an Achilles, for example, um, these have been shown to be pretty effective at helping to accelerate that healing process. Um, you know, we're doing it for, you know, intradiscal as well. So if someone has like a mildly degenerated disc or, you know, small annular tear in the disc, you know, you can kind of heal that up with pure pure stem cells as well. And, um, you know, a lot more kind of being discovered, you know, in terms of how we can use these. Um, but again, it's, you know, you kind of have to have careful evaluation and, you know, imaging is usually a pretty important aspect of, you know, determining whether someone would be a good candidate or not. But, you know, in most cases, you know, I think that, you know, most efficacy, I guess, comes in and kind of like joint degeneration and joint injuries. For the, the patients or the, the students rather who really enjoy the diagnostic side of things and then coupled with the procedural side of things, how many patients are coming to you with a diagnosis and your therefore definitive treatment versus how many are coming to you with symptoms and you're trying to figure out what's going on and then, and then doing the treatment as well? That's a good question. I mean, I think it's, it's interesting with, you know, like the internet and ZocDoc and all that kind of stuff these days, you know, a lot of patients are actually finding us as like their first stop. Um, so a lot of people will have a you know back issue or a pain issue. And, um, you know, we actually get a pretty high volume of people that are seeing a doctor for the first time about that issue when they come in the door to see us. Um, I'd probably say it's about half and half, you know, a lot of it does come from referrals. So, um, you know, we do get like internal, internal medicine specialist or, uh, orthopedist, neurologist, uh, you know, neurosurgeons who, you know, have patients with these issues that, um, you know, they don't necessarily want to jump to treating with surgery. Uh, so they'll refer to us to kind of, you know, just do a little bit of evaluation and see what kind of treatments we can do to try to help get them better and, you know, help them avoid surgery. When you're seeing patients, what percentage of them are you actually doing procedures on where you'll actually do PRP, you'll do some stem, stem cell treatment versus you're evaluating them going, you know what, there's probably nothing, go, go do PT, right? First line of, of treatment. 
you know, I, I take a pretty conservative approach to uh, management for patients. So um, I typically recommend conservative treatment, you know, where possible for pretty much every patient. Um, you know, obviously if someone has a you know, big acute herniated disc and, you know, they can't walk and, you know, their ability to kind of even go to work or anything like that is severely impaired, I might be a little bit more quick to do a treatment with like a steroid injection, for example, just to get them feeling better, mm. feel a little bit more comfortable, and then have them kind of focus on, you know, PT and rest and that kind of thing. Um, there's a lot of people that will come in, you know, with, you know, say it's like an arthritic condition or something like that, where, um, you know, their, their pain's there daily and, you know, they're able to kind of function, you know, do their jobs, but it's at a point where it's kind of distracting them from, um, you know, feeling comfortable and, you know, happy throughout the day. So, uh, with those patients, you know, we, we kind of lay out all of the options, you know, so we say, you know, here are the conservative options for you. You can do physical therapy you, know, you can try kind of like resting it. You can do, you know, acupuncture, chiropractor, you know, anti-inflammatory medications and kind of see how you do with that. Or if you're totally miserable, we can try to do something now that's going to help you a little bit more quickly, you know, but, but going over all the risks and benefits of everything. So, um, you know, I kind of just lay out all the options, have the discussion with the patient and kind of just, we decide together, you know, you know, what's going to be the best, uh, you know, therapy choice for that person at that time. But, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, again, usually I try to try to focus and start with the conservative stuff. Yeah. What does a typical day look like for you? Uh, so a typical day, um, kind of varies actually. So right now it's, uh, you know, we're starting a new practice. So right now it's a lot of phone calls, emails and all that kind of stuff trying to get things set up. But, you know, in a typical practice day, uh, seeing patients, um, you know, Manhattan, obviously there's a pretty high patient volume. So we're seeing, you know, maybe 25, 30 patients in a day. Um, you know, maybe five of those are new patient interactions. You know, the rest are kind of just, you know, follow-up visits. And, um, the way I kind of like to schedule my day is a little bit of a mix of, uh, you know, consultations and follow-ups as well as procedures. So we have, um, you know, an in-office procedure room where we can actually provide, um, you know, all of our injections for patients and, you know, assuming we can get, uh, you know, the authorization or do same day authorizations, um, you know, we can get the patients in, do the, the procedures in the office, you know, and most of the pain medicine procedures are pretty quick, you know, so like an epidural will take, you know, maybe five minutes or so. Um, radio frequencies take a little bit longer, 10, 15 minutes. Um, you know, so you can kind of do these procedures throughout the day and it doesn't really disrupt your workflow too much when you're also seeing consultations, which is really nice. Yeah. For the patient, or I keep saying patients, for the students who like that long-term care with a single patient, how, how long are these relationships with the patients? Are they pretty, pretty short, a couple of visits, or are they more long-term? bit of a mix of everything you know some people come in you know it's like a one-time visit you know there's really not much to do because you know it's just like a minor strain and you know it's just a couple days they feel better and they decide not to follow up um sometimes um you know these can be almost like a lifelong uh relationship so you know as long as you're kind of uh you know available to them and in you know taking their insurances and all that kind of thing you know a lot of times you form these long-time bonds with patients which is something I find a lot of gratification in actually. And, 
Um, you know, you get people that, you know, come in and say they've uh, been suffering with pain for years and years, you know, just nothing has worked or they haven't really done anything about it. And, um, you know, they come in and, and see you and you do something that gets them feeling better. Um, and, you know, obviously they, you know, um, really appreciate that. And, um, you know, one thing with a lot of these injections, you know, so say it's like a nerve block or a steroid injection, um, you know, a lot of times those don't last long-term. And if you have a patient that has a severe degenerative spine condition, you know, that's unfortunately not a reversible thing that's going to get better. Um, so, you know, generally does require some follow-up treatments, you know, you know, every several months, uh, to kind of keep them functioning. So, you know, you do see them quite often and, and kind of form pretty close relationships with them. And there's a lot of kind of in between too. So maybe some people that will see you for, you know, a few months to kind of go through the, you know, kind of conservative stuff and find out what's going to work for them. And, um, once you kind of get them back on their feet and feeling better, you know, sometimes that's the last time you see them. So you get the kind of the full spectrum, which is nice. Yeah. What does the call situation look like for someone in private practice like yourself with regenerative medicine? Are you kind of always on call? And, and if you are, are you getting calls? So we actually don't, uh, take much call at all. So, you know, I, I worked at another practice, uh, here in New York for about three and a half years. And, you know, we had a, you know, just like a phone call system. So any emergencies that would occur after hours, you know, we'd respond to those, but generally it didn't require us, you know, to come back into the you know, office or go into the hospital to really, you know, do anything. You know, most of the emergencies that, um, occur with, with pain medicine, um, you know, don't necessarily require, you know, prs to go in. A lot of times it's more of kind of like a managing the ER kind of thing or, um, you know, something that can wait till the next day, you know, if you've kind of ruled out any kind of serious emergency. Yeah. Um, so it's generally not bad. You know, our hours are pretty, you know, general Monday through Friday, sometimes Saturdays. Um, and it's kind of rare that we get any calls after hours. So it's, it's, kind of nice in terms of a lifestyle, uh, uh, um, with, you know, not having to do, you know, Q2 call or Q3 call and mm. work a lot of weekends and that kind of thing. Yeah. Do you feel like, uh, it, it may be a different situation for you specifically at this point, since you're launching a practice, uh, but do you feel like the field of regenerative medicine and, and pain management is, is conducive to having a life outside of the clinic and a hospital? Uh, yeah, actually, I think, uh, I mean, of, of a lot of the fields in medicine, I think it's, it's definitely very conducive to that. And, you know, you can kind of set it up however you want to. So, you know, with pain medicine, there's, you know, obviously there's acute inpatient pain medicine, which a lot of pain doctors do where they'll round on patients in the hospital and, you know, manage, um, you know, kind of like, you know, nerve, nerve blocks and epidurals and, uh, medications and drips. And, um, you know, there's a lot of exciting stuff with that as well. That generally requires a little bit more in hospital call, um, you know, versus just doing purely outpatient, which is what I do. So I do mostly, you know, interventional outpatient, regenerative medicine, that kind of stuff. And, you know, for that, um, you know, it provides a pretty good schedule where, you know, you really just don't have to, to, you know, go into the hospital or anything that much. So, yeah. After medical school, what's the training path look like to become a regenerative medicine specialist? 
So uh, you know, the pathways, you know, there's multiple pathways, I guess. You know, I guess I would just kind of start with, um, you know, even when you're in medical school and you're kind of deciding what kind of special you want to go into. Um, you know, for pain, there's multiple routes to kind of get to that. Um, you know, and in terms of using stem cells in PRP, you know, a lot of different specialties are kind of incorporating that into their practice. So, you know, op, you know, ophthalmology we kind of discussed a little bit. Um, you know, orthopedics is obviously one where you know they'll inject a lot of times, like in the ORs, to kind of help the process of healing after their surgeries. Um, and, uh, you know, really from most fields, you can get some exposure to regenerative medicine, but I think the fields where you're going to get the most exposure are probably the interventional fields. So orthopedics, physical medicine and rehabilitation, um, uh, obviously anesthesia based pain medicine, um, you know, those types of fields are probably going to get you the best kind of pathway for kind of fully uh, implementing that into your, your practices. Um, you know, because regenerative medicine is, you know, at least the stuff that we do, the PRP injections and the stem cell injections is very kind of intervention based kind of sports medicine kind of, um, and chronic pain, uh, implementations. And, um, you yeah, know, I'd say those are probably the specialties where you could kind of get the, the, the best, uh, kind of exposure to it. For Students who are going down this path and and hearing about regenerative medicine, understanding that it's relatively new and insurance companies aren't still fully on board yet. If if a student is really interested in this, how cautious should they be looking into going into a field that is still kind of on the outside of a lot of the the data to back up stuff and, and insurance companies kind of pushing back a little bit? Yeah, so definitely with regenerative medicine, you know, um, I definitely wouldn't recommend going all in regenerative medicine um, just because there are a lot of question marks. It's not because I don't think it's a, you know, very strong field and that there, you know, isn't good evidence. You know, I think it's there. I think it's just kind of going to take some time for that stuff to develop and um, for these, you know, kind of protocols and guidelines and everything to really be solidified and put into place. So I think at, at this time, you know, it's, um, you know, a little bit more, I don't want to say risky, but, you know, it's a little bit more uh, or less clear what that trajectory is going to be or how long it's going to take to kind of get there. Now, hopefully it'll be a pretty fast process. But, you know, as you kind of brought up, the, the insurance thing is kind of an issue too, you know, so these, you know, procedures can be relatively expensive and, um, you know, kind of makes it unavailable to everybody, which you know, it's a little bit frustrating for me because you know, I see, you know, patients from, you know, all socioeconomic backgrounds and demographics. And, you know, it's uh, unfortunately something that's not available for everybody at this time. And, you know, the hope is insurances will cover it soon and we'll be able to kind of offer it to more people. You know, the main thing is that when done appropriately, these are very low risk, way, way lower risk than doing, you know, steroids and a lot of the medications and, you know, a lot of the other stuff that's commonly utilized in pain medicine. And, um, you know, I think people are finally going to kind of come around to that and realize this is kind of a, a little bit better of a way to kind of get people back on their feet without causing any long-term harm. So, um, yeah, the future is, I think, very bright for this, but you're right. I think there is a little bit of, um, you know, a question of like, you know, how long will this take to kind of get to a place where, you know, we, we can kind of offer this to everybody. So you really do kind of have to, 
uh, diversify your practice a little bit with it and, you know, just make sure you're doing other things too, just, you know, until you can kind of offer out to everybody. Yeah. For the future primary care doc listening to this, what do you wish he or she knew about what you're doing day in and day out as a regenerative medicine specialist, as a pain management specialist to better help their patients, to better help kind of the transition from seeing them to seeing you? What does that conversation right. look like? Um, yeah, so, you know, obviously, uh, internal medicine doctors are a big source of referrals for uh, us as pain, pain medicine providers. And um, you know, a lot of times the conversation I kind of have with uh, a lot of my referring doctors is basically just a discussion about the things that we can offer and, you know, the um, treatment modalities that are becoming available for different types of pain uh, problems. So things like, you know, uh, peripheral diabetic neuropathy, um, you know, fibromyalgia, those kinds of things, you know, we have a lot more kind of becoming available to us, you know, through some of the research that's going on to help help these patients. and. You know, um, you know, I think, you know, a lot of the doctors I've talked to, they obviously know about the steroid injections and, you know, uh, a lot of the spine treatments that we do. Um, but, you know, there's other advancements kind of coming along where there's, you know, one, safer medications, uh, safer injections that we can offer that, um, you know, won't affect a patient that has like, you know, say, you know, diabetes and hypertension where steroids can kind of worsen those symptoms in patients. You know, we have these other things like the regenerative medicine procedures that can kind of help without affecting those other comorbidities. Um, you know, and then neuromodulation is another area that's really exciting in pain medicine. And that's, you know, basically, um, you know, spinal cord stimulators, peripheral nerve stimulators, where you can put electrodes along either the dorsal column of the spinal cord, the dorsal root ganglion, or along peripheral nerves, send electrical impulses and basically inhibit pain signals uh, in patients. And these are great in patients that have, you know, had very complex, complicated, you know, chronic pain issues, um, like failed back surgery syndrome or uh, CRPS or like the peripheral diabetic neuropathy. Um, so there's a lot of kind of exciting options that we can offer their patients now. Yeah, that's awesome. The the more they know, the hopefully better their the treatment their patients will get. So exactly, yeah. What specialists or what other specialties do you work the closest with? Um, yeah. So I say, like you know, spine surgeons tend to be people that we work very closely with. Um, part of that is you know we do treat obviously a lot of acute and chronic spine conditions. Um, you know, and then, um, in a lot of ways, uh, you know, with the neuromodulation, you know, sometimes they'll do the permanent implants and we'll do the trials of these, um, spinal cord simulators. Um, so that's probably the, the, the primary relationships we have, but, you know, obviously orthopedics is huge. Uh, neurology, uh, we, uh, you know, share a lot of patients with rheumatology, uh, for people that have kind of like autoimmune, um, degenerative processes. Um, obviously internal medicine, um, you know, we have a lot of important, uh, relationships with, and, um, kind of, kind of spans a pretty big spectrum. And one other thing that's, you know, unfortunately probably not talked about enough in pain medicine is, you know, kind of a psychosocial component. And, um, I actually refer a lot of patients to, um, you know, like therapists, like pain specialty therapists who can do like cognitive behavioral therapy. Um, you know, and other kinds of methods and modalities that can kind of help with the psychosocial 
kind of aspect of a patient's pain um, syndrome. What do you know now that you wish you knew before going into regenerative medicine and pain management? Um, honestly, one thing is, you know, the, the patients really aren't bad in, in pain medicine, you know, um, you know, when I was kind of going through med school and, uh, residency and things like that, you know, everyone's like, Oh, like, you know, pain medicine's like such a cool field. You get to do a lot of really neat procedures and, you know, but people would be like, Oh, but like, you know, you get difficult patient population with that. And, um, you know, it's like, you know, until you get the exposure and kind of experience with patients, you realize that's such a small percentage of, you know, what you see and do is, you know, dealing with difficult patients, you know, I've, I've had so many, you know, awesome, awesome patients and, um, you know, find pretty much every, every interaction to be gratifying. And, um, you know, it's, it's, you know, kind of something I wish, uh, I'd known a little bit earlier on that, you know, these are very rewarding relationships and, you know, the, the patient population is really not, it's challenging, but it's, it's not like a bad patient population by any means. What do you like the most about being a regenerative medicine specialist? Um, so I think just the ability to kind of be on the verge of something that's up and coming. And I think shows a lot of promise for getting people better, um, without really doing harm to them. You know, I just, you know, kind of excited about the, um, you know, possibility of, you know, this becoming a little bit more, you know, refined in the future and, you know, really being able to kind of offer something that's, uh, you know, very specialized for patients where, you know, we're, we're kind of learning about, you know, how we can use their own body's healing factors and really get them, you know, feeling better and help them recover from injuries. And, you know, we're seeing, you know, how this can actually help, you know, reverse, you know, signs of aging and joints and, you know, tendon and ligament injuries. And, you know, it's a very, you know, kind of exciting place to be right now. And, you know, I think it's, um, you know, you know, something that's just kind of like new and exciting. And, um, for me, that's important. You know, it's, I obviously love a lot of the traditional pain medicine stuff as well, but, you know, again, you know, with there being some drawbacks to doing some of the steroid injections and things like that, um, you know, this is something I want to be able to offer patients, um, you know, to kind of really just kind of get them back to living their life and, you know, not doing any harm in the process. Yeah. What do you like the least? Um, so I guess the least, you know, part of it is, you know, really the fact that, you know, not that many insurances are covering it at this point, uh, or at all, you know, like workers' compensation will sometimes cover it, uh, mm. sometimes no fault will. Um, but, you know, commercial insurances obviously don't cover it. And, you know, having to have that conversation with patients, um, you know, it can be tough sometimes. And, you know, obviously there's a lot of interest in it from patients, but, you know, when you kind of have to go over pricing and things like that, um, you know, it kind of takes away from, uh, you know, kind of, um, I guess my desire to just be able to help everybody, you know, uh, and be able to do it in, you know, in, in every way possible. Um, but, you know, that's kind of just the nature of, you know, how insurances are in the U.S. And, you know, there's kind of a lot of uh, work to be done to kind of make that process a little bit better for patients so that there's not, you know, so much that has to, you know, so much in terms of resources for a practice and, you know, so much time spent for a patient and a doctor to kind of get them the treatments that they want and, you know, would potentially benefit them. Yeah. I think a lot of patients and and students alike, because the 
this whole regenerative medicine field is still relatively new and stem cells are still up and coming, they hear stem cells and they think, oh, like a spinal cord injury, ALS, MS, like just eat some stem cells and, and it'll go find, right. <laughs> it'll go right, find the right. spot that needs something and, and fix everything. And obviously exactly. that we're not at that point yet, but where do you see stem cell therapy and PRP and all of this regenerative medicine going in the future? Uh, so, I mean, you know, kind of as you alluded to, and obviously just kind of, um, having a precision-based approach to injecting these medications or uh, therapies is very important. So, you know, when we're doing these injections, we're looking at MRIs, you know, we're seeing exactly where the injury is. And then we use ultrasounds and x-ray, um, you know, to kind of help guide these injections to the specific site of injury. So when we take a patient's stem cells, you know, process it in a centrifuge, try to find the optimal concentration, um, and then, uh, you know, same thing with PRP. And then we kind of do these super, you know, kind of, uh, you know, precision-based injections to kind of really maximize the, the site of the effect of these treatments. Um, I think that's where you're going to get the maximal benefit. Um, so I think just, you know, the next steps, I think, is really just trying to optimize, you know, how, uh, how these, you know, cells are kind of processed. Um, so how we process the PRP to kind of, um, you know, maximize the, um, you know, release of this, you know, cytokines and communication factors that help kind of signal to heal that tissue in that area that you inject it. And same thing with the stem cells, how to kind of like help create, you know, create a environment, you know, where you inject those cells and they're differentiating into the type of tissue that you want them to. So there's a lot of research being done on this right now. And, um, you know, hopefully, you know, we can get more and more precise with these and, and make it so they really, uh, you know, are, are super focused and, um, you know, kind of maximally effective for patients. If you had to do it all over again, would you still be a regenerative medicine specialist in pain management doc? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I absolutely love my job. And I think, um, you know, again, for me, it's, you know, the long-term relationships with patients, you know, are very gratifying. You know, it's something I feel like I didn't necessarily get as much of uh, when I was just doing anesthesia. Um, so that was a big, important thing for me. You know, the uh, kind of cutting-edge stuff that's occurring right now with the regenerative medicine or modulation, you know, other kind of modalities that are, you know, helping us um, kind of, you know, minimize the amount of opioids that are being prescribed and, you know, kind of help you know, people get better by, you know, healthier means is, uh, you know, I think a very, uh, exciting place to be right now. And, um, you know, it, it's, you know, pretty, pretty good in terms of overall lifestyle balance and, you know, you still have to work hard obviously, and you still have to, um, you know, deal with, uh, some stuff you might not want to, but that's probably true of any specialty. And, uh, you know, I really love the content of the work I'm doing now though. Yeah. Any last words of wisdom for the student listening to this who may have just uh, been introduced to the field of regenerative medicine for them to go and find some more information and, and hopefully get more interested? Yeah, sure. I mean, I mean, obviously one thing they can do is always reach out to me. Um, you know, that's, that's something I'm, I'm always open to discussing and, and teaching, you know, these kinds of things to, you know, especially, you know, students, pre-med students, um, anyone that wants to get exposure. Um, you know, the other things is just kind of, uh, you know, looking into, you know, like, you know, Regenix, for example, you know, their website has a lot of the studies that are, 
published on this available for um, uh, for whoever wants to read it. You know, they have a pretty good uh, blog in place as well that just kind of talks about different aspects of regenerative medicine. Um, you know, the other thing is just trying to get exposure. You know, you know, at an you know early stage, you know, I think it can definitely be helpful to you know try to read the journals, go to the conferences, you know, find some doctors maybe in your area that um, are providing this for patients, and just kind of see if you can um, get some time with them. You know, see if you can shadow them or um, kind of just talk to them about what their experience with it is um, to see if this is something that you'd be interested in, kind of implementing into your career and, and your practice. All right. So there you have it. Again, hopefully that was a great podcast episode for you, kind of exposing you to a new field of medicine that is potentially out there waiting for you in the future. If you are interested in regenerative medicine or pain management, go check it out. I hope you got a lot of great information out of the episode today. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast, share it with a friend, and let them know that Specialty Stories is here to listen to for free as often as possible, usually every week. But we'll, we'll see you next time here on Specialty Stories. This is MedEd Media.